It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. This episode is brought to you by Hyperice, the leader in advanced warm-up and recovery technology. They have tons of innovative products, like Venom-heated wearables to help soothe sore back muscles, Normatec compression boots to speed up recovery and increase circulation, and Hypervolt massage guns to improve mobility. Loved by athletes like Naomi Osaka and Erling Holland. Try them yourself. Get 10% off your order with the code MOVE at hyperrice.com. Survivor 46 is here and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast. And we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcast. You're listening to the Co-Main Event Podcast. And now your hosts, Ben Folks and Chad Dundas. That's right, you're listening to another episode of the Co-Main Event Mixed Martial Arts Podcast. I'm Chad Dundas, that's Ben Folks. We're both longtime MMA journalists, and for the last 11 years, we've been meeting here every week to break down all the action in the wild, weird, and occasionally wonderful world of mixed martial arts. Ben, we had UFC 290 over the weekend, and it it was an amazing event, man. Just rave reviews all across the internet. You got four stoppages in the first minute of fights, which was a record for a modern UFC event, nine stoppages altogether. And when you look at the main card of this thing, you had three stoppages and two split decisions. And the fact is, the two fights that ended up going to decision were Cracker Jacks. They were absolute crowd pleasers. So not only did you get these stoppages on the main card, but you also got excellent fights in terms of the fights that went the distance. You also had two just outstanding championship fights. Alexandre Pantoja emerges as the new men's flyweight champion with a split decision win over Brandon Moreno. Alexander Volkanovsky retains and unifies the men's featherweight title with a third-round TKO victory over Yair Rodriguez. There's a ton of storylines coming out of this event Sometimes we have these pay-per-view events that necessitate a suspension of the co-main event podcast's normal format. We're going to do that today because there's just no way to squeeze in all of this UFC 290 stuff into three rounds. So we are essentially going to take the next hour, hell, I don't know, maybe hour and a half if we got the time to talk through as many of this of these UFC 290 storylines as we can. Uh, we will try to get to all of it in somewhat greater detail. Uh, I don't like to speak in superlatives 
You know, I feel like one of the problems maybe of MMA, Ben, is that we slap a superlative on everything. Guy wins one fight. Guy wins one fight, and he's the greatest of all time. He's the new Mm -hmm. GOAT. Got a new GOAT every few months. So I don't like to overly exaggerate what we got going on here, but UFC 290 was one of the all-time great UFC cards, right? Like, great all-time, one of the all-time great UFC pay-per-views, was it not? Yeah, it, just you had a little bit of everything. You had a lot of just great actual fighting going on. You also had a little bit of drama here or there. You got yeah. yourself a little bit of an ongoing prospect watch as a young fellow by the name of Bo Nickel gets in there and just absolutely starches a, uh, let's say, extremely late replacement who was doing the best he could under the yeah. circumstances. You know, yeah. It's just He got called. It's like basically like someone called in sick for work, and so we had to get Val Woodburn out there. It's supposed to be his day off, man. You know, he's he doesn't want to be there, but uh, he's out there putting in the work against uh, Bo Nickel, one of the great prospects of yeah. recent memory uh, it's kind of like this like how sometimes when i go to get my gas station coffee chad i go mm-hmm. to the place down the street and has the best gas station coffee in all of missoula montana and sometimes when you go in there it's one of the two women who are always working there and they're on top of their shit know everybody's name know exactly where your your punch card is all that stuff sometimes when you go in there it is clearly the wife of the owner who does not know anything about how any of this shit works. And you set up and be like, here's my coffee. Here's my $1.29 that I know it costs. All I need you to do is put your hand out and take it. And still, the transaction's going to take five minutes because she's going to be like looking at the register, doing this thing with her finger floating in the air, like, well, let's see here, a coffee. Uh, and you're just like, bro. That's kind of what it is. She didn't want to come there that day. She had to come because circumstances forced her to. Yeah. And she shows up there. She's going to do the best she can. Everybody else needs to be patient. That's what your guy Val Woodburn was doing. Hopefully the UFC rewards him with an actual UFC yeah. fight uh, with yeah. time to prepare for it and everything. Um, I would argue perhaps that not exactly the circumstance to learn a ton about Bo Nickel, but we yeah. found out he got them hands a little bit. Yeah, and we will get into Bo Nickel, of course, coming up later in the show i think you said it exactly right there's a little something for everybody on this ufc 290 card right you had a retirement high profile retirement in robbie lawler you had bo nickel the up-and-coming blue chip prospect you had two you know unbelievable fights in terms of dan hooker versus jalen turner and also pantoja against moreno you had a new champion in pantoja you had alexander volkanovsky retaining his title uh, yeah, on some re- y'all must have forgot shit. Yes, re- reaffirming his greatness essentially over Yair Rodriguez, and then of course you had uh, Drikas Duplessis out here defeating Robert Whitaker by second round TKO and establishing himself as the new top contender in middleweight. And that's where you get the drama. You get the yeah. drama in there with Israel Adesanya coming over the barrier, reassuring everyone over and over again that it was cool and he wasn't going to hit nobody. So they let him up in there in the cage, and then he had the face-off with DDP that we will talk about coming up later in the show. Impromptu Uh, ad for genetic testing services, which somehow every single time Israel Adesanya tries to say the name of a genetic DNA testing service, he says a different name every single time, and it's never once the right one. Right. It's what is the real thing? 23 and me. 23 and me. Pretty yeah. well known if, at this point. He's clearly, that's what he's going for. 
He doesn't know what the 23 refers to, and so he's just guessing that it's numbers and me. <laughs> and the numbers are never the same twice. I assume the people from 23 and me were out in the audience watching UFC 290, probably being like, no, it's just get it. Can you just, oh, we missed out on our free yeah. free advertising uh, Their PR person had to write one of those good news, bad news situation emails uh, to the CEO. Be like, so... We got mentioned during a UFC pay-per-view this weekend, kind of. Yeah. Kind do you, of. Do you think that still amounts to good news for a uh, for a company to get mentioned on the UFC broadcast? Do you think they're like great news? I mean, at least they're talking about you. Yeah, I guess that's right. All right, we are going to talk about all of this stuff, so I want to put the reins on you a little bit. I got to put the yoke. You can't fetter me. Gotta you ought to know the, that by now. Put the yoke over the back of Ben Folks, but I did want to ask you, 48 hours removed from this thing, what's the first thing that you think of? What's uh, what's the thing, now that you've had some time to reflect, what's the first thing that comes to mind? You wake up this morning, UFC 290 on your mind. What's the first thing that comes to mind? Well, there's a 1A and there's a 1B. Okay. 1A is Alexander Volkanovsky basically getting hit in the face like twice. Yair Rodriguez having like the the glimmer of a nice moment of resurgence and hope in this fight. And Alexander Volkanovsky basically did the uh, Damon Wayans thing from The Great White Hype where he threw a mouthpiece, says, you trying to embarrass me on TV? And then just <laughs> fucking trucks him. Yeah, like yeah. just as soon as you see Yair Rodriguez have one little moment, you're like, oh, here we go. He's back yeah. in this. Nope. It's over. He's done. As soon as he did anything, it was like, oh, now you made him mad and he's going to go ahead and finish you. That's 1A. 1B, Chad, is the absolutely heartbreaking, heartrending moment of Alessandra Pantoja talking oh. to the microphone, uh, talking to the camera after his gritty, gutsy win over Brandon Moreno, where he talks about how his mom raised him and his siblings all by herself and asks, Dad, are you proud of me now? Yeah. And you're like, oh, oh, God, yeah. what did you just I, do to my heart? We were definitely going to talk about that later. But essentially, Pantoja got on the mic and said, this one goes out to all the teachers who said I'd never amount to nothing. <laughs> Called the police when I was out in front of the building hustling, just trying to get some money to feed, feed my baby girl. That's essentially what he did with his spotlight moment. And you're right. It was heartbreaking. All right. We are going to get into all of that stuff. Reminder that you are listening to the co-main event podcast proper. Ben, our email link has been acting up over on comainevent.com. We haven't been getting all of our emails. We don't really know how long it's been going on. But if anybody out there has been trying to get a hold of the podcast, you've been waiting for a response. Maybe you've been waiting for your email to show up on the show and you haven't heard from us. That's probably why. Because yeah. the email form over on the website was not working. We got it straightened out today. It should be up and running again. So if you need to contact us, please do over at comainevent.com. Click the link in the top right-hand corner of the screen that says email the podcast special shout-out to our guy Chris McElwee up there in Canada, the architect, the original architect of the comainevent.com for coming in to help us out to get the email form back running again instead of me wandering around blind in the back end of the, the website pulling levers at random trying to get the email to come back on. We had Chris come in. He's way too busy, by the way, to be helping us. He's got a thriving business. He's got a young child. He shouldn't be helping us, but he is. 
and we we owe him big time for it. So thanks to Chris for getting our shit back up and running. But if you've been waiting for a response, if you got an email to send us, now's the time. Comainevent.com. Click the link in the top right-hand corner of the screen that says email the podcast. And please don't think we were ignoring you because I'm sure there's somebody out there who is like, what the hell? I've sent four emails as Count Chocula's beleaguered <laughs> personal assistant and they haven't answered a fucking one of them or even acknowledged that they got him. Sorry, that's it's not intentional. Yeah. Uh, remember, you're listening to the Coming Event Podcast proper. This show drops every Monday afternoon for free in your timelines and podcast libraries, but that's not all. You can find the co-main event, Ben Folks, and myself all week over on Patreon. Hit us up at patreon.com slash co-main event. Get loads of extra audio and video content as well as access to our official Discord message board. The coolest people in MMA are over there chatting it up 24-7, 365. You guys know the only rule over there. The only way we fetter the Discord over there, the discourse on the Discord. The only rule is no assholes. We're over there Wednesday with the live chat, 60 minutes of taking your questions, comments, and concerns. We got Thursday's Doing the Damn Thing podcast. We got Friday's Power Hour, a full extra 60 minutes of curated MMA talk to get you excited for the weekend's MMA action. Consider supporting the show by joining up. Follow us over at patreon.com slash co-main event. We depend on your patronage to keep this show going. So check us out, patreon.com slash co-main event. You can also scoop up some dope CME merchandise. Just head over to our brand new merch shop where you'll find old favorites like the original Dundasso t-shirt, the old school cowboy astronaut cigarettes t-shirt, and a lot of the cool new stuff like new Are You Fucking Kidding Me shirts, and of course the hottest seller on the market, the Bobby Knuckles shirt, which you may at this point want to buy just to sort of soothe your hurt feelings, your your bruised yeah. soul from what happened to Robert Whitaker over the weekend. And Ben, I have it on good authority. Within the week, maybe the next couple of weeks, we're going to have some hot new merch dropping that I think the people are going to like. I think yeah. the people are going to enjoy it. We got a hot new design. You could say it's topical. Yeah. A topical new design is about to drop. Relevant to recent events. I'd also say, if people are wondering, you know, what might the CME possibly do with an influx of Patreon money? I can't keep looking at all these people's individual names on the little warning track in the UFC octagon and... And just ignore the possibility that the CME could write a check and get a name of our choosing put on the octagon surface. Yeah. We could be right there for an upcoming UFC pay-per-view. The question is what name? Because I feel like if we roll right in there with co-main event, they're going to be like, "Mm, we see what you're doing. No, thank you. However, if we were to roll up in there with Creamy Steve, we roll up in there with one of the, the names known to the CME listening audience. I'm just saying maybe it's a possibility. Maybe we could all (laughs) hold our nose at the prospect of putting more money in the UFC's coffers and enjoy a moment together. The question is how and what do we want to put on the uh, UFC octagons? We can really maximize it. Maybe we'll end up doing a Patreon poll over there for everybody to to keep an eye on. I mean, it's a crapshoot. You get your name on the octagon. You don't know if uh, it's going to go completely unnoticed. You don't know if out of nowhere, Alexander Volkanovsky is going to shoot a double on Yair Rodriguez, plant him right on his back, right next to your name. Yeah. Then all of a sudden you got the men's featherweight championship being contested right next to where it says Cody Rutherford or whatever, mm-hmm. right there on the octagon. Then you got 
dare I say, money well spent. I, I'm surprised. Thrill. I forget that they're doing that every time until I see the names on the black line around the octagon. And then I'm reminded that people are paying the UFC money for that. I, I don't even know how much it is, like a thousand bucks or something. I have no idea, but that's just extra money. As if the UFC, as if the thing that the UFC needed was some extra pocket change just from having people's names around the octagon. Mm-hmm. Why not? There was a couple square inches of material they weren't using to make money, and God damn it, that can't stand. Yeah, they were like, do we got a Trojan logo that goes here? Is there a Modelo ad that we got? Is this Toyo Tires area? No, well, we got to sell it to individual motherfuckers. And they Sweet can put sweat their names. isn't paying for this one. Just put some individual names on there. All right, enough preamble. We got to get started talking about Alexander Volkanovsky's big win over Yair Rodriguez. We are going to do that right after this. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, Everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. All right, Ben. So just to fill in anyone who doesn't know how the UFC 290 fight between Alexander Volkanovsky and Yair Rodriguez came together, the UFC kind of preemptively put an interim championship on Yair Rodriguez just on the offhand chance that Alexander Volkanovsky were to beat Islam Mahachev in their lightweight title fight back at UFC 284. Of course, that did not happen. Volkanovsky and Mahachev had a hell of a fight, but Mahachev emerged the winner. He is still the lightweight champion. And then we had a situation down there at 145 where you had two champions, Yair Rodriguez and Alexander Volkanovsky. Good problems to have. If you're the UFC, because not only do you get to slap two belts on the poster, but you also got two pretty exciting, pretty talented fighters in Volkanovski and Rodriguez who are going to come in and uh, unify this title. Uh, it was mostly Alexander Volkanovski from pillar to post in this thing. He uh, he came in and, as I said earlier in the show, reaffirmed his greatness in in route to this third round TKO win over Yair Rodriguez. And of course, mixed it up a little bit by going essentially wrestling first for most of this fight. Were you surprised, I guess, to open up? Were you surprised that that was Alexander Volkanovsky's go-to game plan for this fight? I was a little bit surprised at how thoroughly it worked for him. Uh, I got to give credit where it's due watching some of the pre-fight materials where Michael Bisping was going out there saying he thought that the wrestling was going to make the difference and that Alexander Volkanovsky was probably going to have kind of an easy night of it 
because of his advantage in the wrestling department. And we have seen Yair Rodriguez out-wrestled before. It's been a little while since we saw him dominated like that, but it's not like we didn't know that that could be a possible hole in the armor. And to see Alexander Volkanovsky be like, all right, let's go out there right away and find out, pretty much. And when he started to get his wrestling game going, you could tell Yair Rodriguez did not really have much of an answer for it. And I couldn't, you know, some stuff probably going to get lost in translation, but when we're hearing the uh, translation of what's going on in this corner and they're like, don't get taken down again. And you're like, <laughs> okay, like he's, he's not getting taken down because he was under the impression that off his back was his best chance to beat Alexander Volkanovsky. He's getting taken down because Alexander Volkanovsky is a better wrestler than him. Also, uh, I don't know if I knew this before that Alexander uh, Volkanovsky won a gold medal in yeah. Australia and wrestling. Yeah, which... I had no idea about that either. I don't know exactly how much stock you put into uh, there a national wrestling contest in I mean, Australia. It's a whole but country, it, yeah, it's, it's better it's a... <laughs> than nothing, right? It's better than <laughs> yeah. what we thought he had, and it turns out, oh yeah, no, I'm a I'm a talented ass wrestler. As Listen, well. I'm sitting here with a third place medal from a grapplers quest regional grapplers quest competition <laughs> in Las Vegas from like 15 years ago, hanging up on the wall in my home gym. If I was the wrestling champion of an entire nation, I don't think I would be hanging my head just because it's not known as a powerhouse nation. Still a pretty big country. Yeah. Still a lot of people might be doing some wrestling there. So if you're the and it just points out what a hell of an athletic life. Alexander Volkanovsky has led like, oh, yeah, you know, I played some semi-professional rugby, even though I was like the shortest guy on the field and I was still dominating people and punching people in the mouth. Then I went over there and won a gold medal in a national wrestling competition. And now I am the best featherweight MMA fighter in the world and quickly approaching perhaps the best of all time at 145 yeah. pounds. And this fight is one like this really was a y'all must have forgot kind of fight for Alexander Volkovsky because yeah. he goes up there to lightweight, fights Islam Mahachev. You know, you could argue about the decision in that one. I think they mostly got it right, though. It was a close fight, but he lost it. If there were one, one or two more rounds, who knows? Maybe he wins that fight. But maybe a little, a little shine diminished. He comes back down to featherweight. Be like, oh, you guys got an interim champ while I was gone in the very short interim in which I was gone. Fine, let me have a crack at that guy. And it's just all one-way traffic in that fight, yeah. pretty much. Yeah. Uh, I say this all the time, but city kickboxing, man, those guys always show up prepared in great shape with a super smart game plan. And then for the most part, uh, they are willing and able to implement that game plan. And you, you know what? You cannot let Yair Rodriguez stand at distance and do Yair Rodriguez shit. Because that's when he's dangerous. And we saw a little bit of that in the third round uh, with him starting to uncork the kicks a little bit. Unfortunately yeah. for him, it was kind of all he had. He landed some elbows from the bottom. But anytime you're saying that as one of your highlights in the fight, you know things did not go that well for you. You were mentioning the corner advice earlier. I think it was this fight where after the first round, Rodriguez goes back to the corner. And I believe his cornerman said, OK, well, you got through the first round. As if to say, like, maybe that, you know, you're going to have to weather the storm early. But if that's what the what your corner people are saying to you when you come back after the first round, that ain't good. That means you didn't do great if they're like, well, you got through the first round. It's all smooth sailing from here. Yeah, and it's also not a great sign against Alexander Volkanovsky where one of his strengths has been taken over a fight later. And that, you know, there's been a couple of people who have beat him in the first round 
or at least done pretty well in the first round, only for him to then dominate the rest of the fight. And so if you're just banking a lot on surviving that first round, you're right, that's not totally great. I do have to ask this, though. And I'm before I say it, Chad, I'm going to say, this is just me putting forth the question. This is not me making a statement or anything. How much do you think that, I don't even want to call it a clash of heads, because... Mm. It is the crown of Alexander Volkanovsky's head on the jawline of Yair Rodriguez's head. So it's not like we're just we're both just bashing heads and it hurts us both. It's you know they showed the replay of that, and especially from one particular angle, it seems significant. Yeah. And we get started again pretty quickly after that, and then pretty quickly after that, we're done. Do you think that that played a role at all? I mean, you got to mention it, right? You got to talk about it. It was not totally insignificant. Like you said, when they showed the replay, it seemed like a fairly impactful moment in the fight. And then soon after, Yair Rodriguez ends up getting stopped at kind of an unfortunate time for him. Not that there is a great time ever to get stopped in a professional mixed martial arts fight, but he was having his best round. You know, round three yeah. was 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 proven to be Yair Red Rodriguez's best round. He was getting getting to work with the kicks and throwing some uh, unexpected, unorthodox stuff and landing a few punches and all this other stuff. And then there's the clash of heads, and then Volkanovski comes in there and, and nails him with the hook and and ends up finishing him. So yeah, it was it was not insignificant. If I was Yair Rodriguez, I would probably feel pretty sore about it. Frankly, I would probably be uh, pointing to that as one of the reasons that this thing turned out on the short end for me, but he was also not winning. I think, yeah. you know, it would have been bad if it was the other way around, if Volkanovsky had gotten headbutted and then he had lost when he was piling up points in this fight and pretty obviously winning it. You don't want to see that happen to anybody and especially not in a championship fight, but it also seems like the kind of thing that we're just going to steamroll right over, right? It's the proverbial Chuck Liddell eye poke of championship fights or just we're not going to talk about that we're chad dunn like, is never going to forget it because it happened to his hero we're not twice we're not gonna uh we're not going <laughs> to talk about that it's just you know clash of heads whatever he still wins it was it was you not totally feel bad about it he was yeah like, well he, alexander volkanovsky as we said last week is maybe the most likable ufc champion he's i think he's definitely the most likable ufc champion now that brandon moreno has at least for the time being been knocked from the ranks which brings up another question what now for Alexander Volkanovsky. You know, we mentioned that this was a bit of a y'all must for, must have forgot performance. It reaffirms his greatness. He goes out there, beats the interim champ in Yair Rodriguez. They mentioned on the broadcast, he's probably number one pound for pound, which is a thing that I think is uh, maybe inarguable at this point. But now what? He came into this fight apparently needing surgery on his arm, as he says, after the fight, which uh, makes it all the more impressive. But he mentioned uh, Ilya Topuria. He mentioned going up to lightweight to get another crack at Mahachev. No. I believe Mm-mm. he told, you know, he had a little run in with Topuria at cage side. Certainly not to the extent to which uh, Israel Adesanya and DDP had a run in, but Volkanovsky and Topuria meet their cage side. I believe one of the things Volkanovsky said to him was, I thought you'd be taller, which is awesome to say. Uh <laughs> But that would be, I wouldn't argue with that at 145 pounds, but uh, but who knows, especially if there's, maybe we get another interim championship. We got, we we went ahead and Shut made one mouth. up. We, we, made, we made one up when Volkanovski wasn't even hurt, wasn't even gone. Just took a little walkabout up there to uh, lightweight. We had to make an interim championship. Now he has to have surgery. 
Maybe we'll do two. Maybe we do two or three interim. Maybe everyone in the in the division gets to take the interim belt home with them for a night. The one thing that I think you absolutely can't do right now is have him go back up to lightweight and do that fight over again. Because it's just, we just did it, yeah. you know? Plus, Islam Mahachev is still kind of a new champion at lightweight. We need to see him fight some lightweights as champion. So let him settle into that business. I'm not saying that there's never a time when I would be willing to see that fight again or see Alexander Volkanovsky against somebody for the lightweight title again because clearly he's way ahead of the pack at featherweight. I think now is the time to make that Toporia fight. Yeah. And I don't think, even if Alexander Volkanovsky could be out for a little while dealing with an injury, I don't necessarily think you need Toporia to do anything in the meantime. I think what he's already done and the state of featherweight where kind of everybody else who might have a claim has already lost to Volkanovsky. Toporia's sitting here at 14-0. He just beat the brakes off Josh Emmett, who was only saved from being finished by an insane level of toughness. Yeah. Before that, he submitted Bryce Mitchell, whose whole thing is submitting people, knocked out Jai Herbert, knocked out Ryan Hall. You know, at this point, he is not only kind of the only guy left right there in the top five who isn't coming off a loss and hasn't already fought Volkanovski, but he's also just like one of the more interesting stylistic challenges that you could see Volkanovski face and uh, an exciting fighter. So, I think that one's a no-brainer. As long as we're not sitting here going to be talking about Volkanovski being out for a year or more, uh, I think you make that fight as soon as you possibly can. Yeah, I tend to agree with you. Just a virtuoso performance here from Alexander Volkanovski, who, by the way, leave it to Volk to make Land Down Under a dope walk-in song, yeah. right? Like, I don't know, if you asked me in a vacuum, could you make a, a Men at Work song just awesome as a walkout? I'd be like, well, maybe, but it works. It works for Volkanovsky. Just amazing walkout song for me. Does Bruce Buffer have to get right up in their faces, though, when he's doing the introductions? Like, I believe he does this. Like, as the event goes on, he gets more hyped for the main event, and he thinks, okay, I got to bring it. Buffer's got to bring it for the main event. Does he have to walk right over and essentially shout in their faces? Do have to Some do guys that? seem to love that. Some fighters seem to genuinely love it. I, again, would point out how, while he seems to be big picture wrong about most things, maybe Sean Strickland was not wrong about saying that he understands who he is and what he's doing in this sport, and Bruce Bufford maybe does not always understand that. Yeah. We talked a little bit about Yair Rodriguez's corner work. You know who his top corner person was in this fight? It was Juliana Pena out there in the audience yelling extremely specific instructions to Yair Rodriguez on how to how to get up off the ground which and you know what and there was no chance that he wasn't going to be able to hear her either no. we all heard her she I heard make I'm in Montana heard. Yeah. yeah all right let's move on here let's talk a little bit about the men's flyweight championship fight Alexander Pantoja split decision win over Brandon Moreno in just an unbelievable fight fight of the year contender leading in the clubhouse probably fight of the year contender uh you know how you how you know that number one this was an amazing fight and number two this was a, an amazing event is that dan hooker and jalen turner both went home without a bonus like yeah. any other ufc card of the year those guys are probably going home with an extra 50 G's. If you're Jalen Turner and you came up on the short end of the split decision, you probably head back to the locker room thinking, well, at least I probably have fight of the night wrapped up. At least I'll probably get a little extra uh, in my pocket from the UFC. No, no, you will not. Because Alexandra Pantoja 
and Brandon Moreno are about to come out here and have have one for all times, have one for the fucking history books. You know how they say time flies when you're having fun? I felt like this fight was like 10 minutes long. I felt like this one just blip and we're done. And honestly, if you ask me right now, I couldn't tell you what happened in it. Some They punched each other, some takedowns, some scrambles. At one point, Moreno went for a fucking leg lock. That's it. That's all I got. Other than that, there's the up kick. Pantoja tried to throw an up kick. I remember that. Other than that, it's a blur, man. But these guys are out there living entire lives in front of our eyes during this fight. Yeah. You want to talk about some corner moments. How about uh, Brandon Moreno going back to his corner? And I think after the first round and the the word that came was, we knew we were going to bleed tonight. Yeah. You know, yeah. basically not a big deal. Like, of course, yeah, you're cut open and you're bleeding uh, one round into this five round title fight. We knew sooner or later we we're going to put some blood on that canvas. No big deal. Let's deal with it. And you know what he did? He came right, right out uh, and won the next round on everybody's scorecard. So he, he absolutely did deal with it. And it was a real back and forth. Some of the scrambles in this fight were insane, especially yeah. because you could tell, like, Pantoja is like, let me get to this man's back. Let me get to this man's back and make it a different kind of fight. And Moreno was had had an answer for that most of the time until it seemed like he sort of ran out of gas. I do, I mean, people say, and especially in the wake of this, had a lot of nice things to say about Judge Ben Cartilage overall. But the reason they had to say those nice things overall is because he turned in a kind of baffling scorecard on this one. He yeah, has that was, round, I assume the 49-46 for Moreno. Yeah, but and especially just like how you get there, I don't quite understand. Because the other two judges have it exactly the same, where they have Pantoja 135. You know, Derek Cleary has it that, uh Junichur Camillo has it that. Ben Cartilage has Pantoja in round one, and then Moreno a clean sweep after that. Winning the next four rounds, including the fifth round in which, I mean, you could argue not a ton of consequence happened in the fifth round because at that point, everybody's tired and beat the fuck up. But the thing that did happen for most of the round was Pantoja on Moreno's back where Moreno can't really launch any sort of offense. So even if you don't think that Pantoja is exactly killing him from there, Moreno's sure not winning because he can't really do anything from there. He can't do anything but survive. I don't know how you have him winning that round. Yeah. Uh, this, of course, was a rematch of their 2018 fight where Pantoja won by unanimous decision. He had been on a three-fight win streak headed into this thing. Now, he, of course, extends that to four with this split decision uh, win over Brandon Moreno. He lost to Oscar Oskarov in July of 2020 and before that had been defeated by Davis and Figueredo. So, Alexander Pantoja is not necessarily out here on a long string of victories, but he is obviously showed in the cage against Brandon Moreno, a top flight world class, not to use the expression that you dislike so much, men's flyweight fighter. And now he is the champion. Here's my question about Moreno, though. Did he fuck around and get himself into another two, three or maybe four fight series here after having just completed one? against Davis and Figueredo because I would assume we're going to do this one again, brother. Wouldn't you? With the split decision and how awesome it was and how close this fight was, I would assume we would head for a rematch here of some kind. And if you told me these guys were going to fight 10 more times, I probably wouldn't complain about it. I mean, man, that's got to get fatiguing mentally at some point, right? Like where Uh, you just... 
every time you fight. And especially like where you come out of a tough ass fight with somebody and they're like, all right, do you think you could win the next two though? I mean, the problem that you run into is that sort of like we used to say about Alexander Volkanovsky and Max Holloway, what are we going to keep doing one, doing it until Brandon Moreno wins one? I realize the others weren't title fights, but kind of 0-3 against the guy. So, I don't, you know, you look at the rankings overall right now, you know, you got uh, Alessandro Pantoja as the champion. I don't know exactly how things are going to shake out right now as far as where Brandon Moreno is going to get reshuffled in there. But right now, they got as the top-ranked flyweight is Davison Figueredo. Number two is Pantoja. You know, maybe he and Moreno will just end up swapping spots or something there. Number three, though, is Amir Albazi. And Amir Albazi is currently sitting on a six-fight winning streak with that split decision win over Kai Kara France uh, last month. If I were him, I'd be like, hey, why don't we take a break from UFC flyweight title fights that feature Brandon Moreno versus somebody, which seems like it's been the last three years. And uh, let me let me slide up in there. Let's get some fresh blood in there. You know what I'm saying? It wouldn't be terrible, especially considering how many times we watched uh, Figueredo and Moreno fight. Moreno had been on a fairly torrid pace here. Uh, He essentially fights once every six months and has been doing that since December of 2020. Many of those fights, obviously, against Davis and Figueredo. But we have always heard, you know, from these longtime UFC champions, how it is to walk a tightrope of taking everybody's best fights all the time. And always fighting the number one contenders, baby, the basically the top competition that the UFC can scrape together for you at all times. It's only gotten harder, I would think, now that the UFC is on this breakneck live event schedule that they have to stick to, essentially. Because if you're a champion like Brandon Moreno, you're basically fighting every January and every July. Once, just once every six months for, for years on end, fighting the best guy they can find. And not only... Would a series against Davis and Figueredo be mentally and physically taxing? But just that has got to be hard. You're essentially going straight out of your fight into a fight camp with very little time in between to to do anything else. Well, in some of these fights with the way they're going, you probably need a significant amount of time to recover before you could even think about getting in the gym and doing some hard training again. You'd think. So, yeah, that'll wear you down. All right, uh, let's move on here to Robbie Lawler. You know, a the actual heartfelt moments in this sport, I feel like, are a little bit few and far between. And you get one here from Robbie Lawler, albeit perhaps a little bit engineered on the UFC's part. Robbie Lawler goes in there and knocks out uh, Nico Price in 38 seconds. Oddly enough, the exact same time on the finish as Bo Nickel in the very next fight, 38 seconds into the first round. Lawler comes out there, gets kind of an old school, one-handed, dirty boxing, kind of half tie clinch, starts throwing left hooks and uppercuts, ends up knocking Nico Price out, as I said, in a very, very short time, uh, and then holds it together pretty well through his post-fight interview with Joe Rogan. And then Rogan is like, all right, well, we just so happen to have (laughs) a lengthy tearjerker highlight reel video ready to go about you, Robert Glenn Lawler, 
Let's throw it up on the screen. And then they put they put Robbie in like a picture in picture on the screen. Yeah, just, just so to we get, can watch him fall apart. Just to get his emotional reaction, which I mean, it's amazing to see Robbie Lawler react like that. Because as everybody knows, he's been an incredibly stoic man of few words throughout his entire MMA career. Just so clearly you see how much the moment means to him to have him have this emotional reaction. But I was also like, sort of like, well, we weren't going to let him get out of there without this, I guess is, uh, is kind of how it feels. Yeah. I wondered, so we made this thing up and we decided we're going to hold it until after the fight, till we do the interview with him. I mean, I guess it's a good thing he didn't get fucking knocked out cold or something. Like, yeah, you get beat up so bad we got to take him to the hospital. Some some poor video editor is like, but I spent all night on this. I, you guys, I mean, it it really worked out as well as it possibly could have because fights over quickly. He wins. He's not too tired or too beat up or anything. Like he can actually stand there and enjoy the moment. Uh, and I, it really does make it more impactful to see the, that emotion ripple across his face when you know how stoic Robbie Lawler is. Yeah, yeah. Just in all in his normal life where you know how hard it is to get any kind of reaction out of Robbie Lawler, positive, negative, anything. And to see him feel that you're like, well, okay, it is kind of all coming home for him right now. That what a ride it's been, how many different lives in this sport he has lived and that here you are, you, you've reached the end and have become sort of a just beloved figure, beloved legendary figure at this point in the sport, which, uh, I mean, maybe is a thing that younger fighters ought to look at and, and take some lessons from because Robbie Lawler was not the guy who won them all. Robbie Lawler was the guy who kept showing up and kept getting you everything he got. Kept, it was known as an action kind of guy. Like that, that is a kind of career you can have. You don't just have to be the guy who wins them all. Uh, and he is a fan favorite because he's what he's given. And it's also hard not to notice when he's standing there. We're showing the fight of him with his lips split all the way open against Rory McDonald. And we're like, yep, we can still see the scar from that one. Like yeah. you can see it right now on his face as he's standing here in front of us. That a lot of these moments came at a tremendous personal physical cost. Yeah, I was going to say, I hesitate to give the advice to anyone, just go out there there and be Robbie Lawler. That seems... Well, if you can, then it's probably yeah. a pretty good idea. Maybe, maybe so. Uh, we talked about this on Friday during the Power Hour over on the Patreon page, but Robbie Lawler's one of these guys, not to overstate the case, but he's essentially sort of become a legend in his own time. Like before he even walked away, we were already talking about him as a legend of the game. Uh, he was inducted into the UFC Hall of Fame before this fight even happened. That's the kind of guy he is. He can lay claim to two of probably the top 10 fights in UFC history, which is amazing. His rematch against Rory McDonald and his fight against Carlos Condit, which, as we noted on Friday, not only are they two of the great fights in UFC history, but he also did them back to back in his career, which is pretty amazing. Uh, he is one of the few guys who came into the UFC in the very early days of the early 2000s and then left the organization, went on to fight in numerous other places, came back, I guess, in what seemed like the latter stages of his career, but was better than ever upon re-entering the octagon after the strike force acquisition went on to win the title, which was an amazing. He is a former now multi-company world champion. He's had 47 
professional fights, 25 fights in the UFC. And I will say this also, Ben Folks, this retirement fight against Nico Price was not a gimme, man. Robbie Lawler came into this fight as the underdog. Like, let's not lose. Nearly two to one underdog, which some smart people cashed in on. Yeah, let's not forget that, that he was not really expected to win this. So it's not like we were lining Robbie Lawler up with an easy fight to coast him out of the UFC. He came in here as the underdog and goes out there and gets an extremely Robbie Lawler style finish in 38 seconds, which is wraps it up about as well as you possibly could dream to wrap it up. Yeah. Uh, And I wonder how Nico Price feels about it afterwards, because in retrospect, you probably think, well, once I got into close quarters combat with Robbie Lawler, it was probably a bad idea to just kind of keep punching and feel like I'm going to get him before he gets me. Because no, you won't. He's fucking Robbie Lawler. He does not need to land that many clean blows to your temple for you to be in big, big trouble. I mean, for Nico Price, don't you just got to think it all happened so fast? Like, it's not like he had a lot of time to think about the strategy of what he should do in that position. It was just sort of like they locked up in it and it was like, bang, bang, bang. We'll tell you what happened later because you're not going to remember it. I do wonder, and I think at least part of this was, and it was part of my calculation and betting on Robbie Lawler in this fight was they chose Nico Price for this because they felt like he's a guy who will go in there and give you a banger. Yeah. He'll go in there and give you kind of a wild and crazy fight. And that's what we want out of Robbie Lawler's last one. We don't want somebody to go in there and try to double leg Raleigh, Robbie up against the cage for three rounds. Like, we will hate you forever if you ruin Robbie Lawler's <laughs> retirement fight that way. So let's go get us a, a wild man who will go in there and, and match Robbie's energy. And you know Nico Price knew that. You knew he knew that was the expectation. And so he goes out there and you end up getting in that kind of a fight with Robbie Lawler. And it's over before you know it. And afterwards you kind of think like... They saw me coming. Yeah. They they put me in a in a situation where they knew how what I would do, and I did it. And then you know they got the storybook ending they wanted for the other guy, and I go home without my win bonus. Yeah, maybe matchmakers knew, but it didn't seem like the odds makers knew uh, what was going to happen. Uh, yeah, just keep keep reminding us of that. Very classy from Ben Folks. Uh, well, Nico Price is a goddamn father of six. Jesus so he, Christ, really? He might not have had much time to reflect. <laughs> he might be too busy juggling babies and changing diapers. I don't know how they do it over at the Price House, but uh, that's twice as many kids as I got. And I can tell you what I got is we're already in the weeds. So, good God, must be pretty crazy. Uh, you know, we, you know, like we got to ask this question: Is this really it for Robbie Lawler? Does the retirement stick? Don't you think that at least part of the taking all this time to reflect on his career and show him the highlight reel and all this stuff to say goodbye. (laughs) Don't you think at least part of that is meant to be like, now be a good boy and stay home. Yeah. Don't, don't let us find out that you signed with BKFC nine months from now. Don't, don't do that to us, Robbie. Remember this nice moment we had because like we were saying before, probably over there on the BKFC offices in a case is a blank check that says break glass in case of Robbie Lawler free agency. Yeah. You know that there might be some people who are going to observe a decent interval, as Al Swearingen might say, and then try call up Robbie Lawler's cell just to see what he's up to, if he's bored yet. 
And I I want to believe that this is it because it's, it's hard to go out on a much better note, right? You go out there, you get a classic Robbie Lawler first round knockout. Everybody's giving you your flowers. Even you are, are, are overcome by the emotions that you have managed to avoid for most of your career. Everybody's saying nice stuff about you. You get to walk away. Don't don't spoil it. You know, let it let it be a nice moment. Let us all live with that memory, especially if if you can do other stuff, if you have other stuff that you that you got going on, and you don't absolutely need the money. Yeah, no better way to go out than standing in the middle of the cage, laughing at the old old footage of yourself when you had hair. That's that's the best you can do in this sport, and yet in MMA, so few moments go completely unspoiled so we at least got to ask the question i hope it sticks for robbie lawler it seems like it might it seems like this is a thing this is not a spur of the moment in the cage uh stand there while they cut the gloves off kind of a thing this is a thing that he had thought about and deliberated on for a while so hopefully this does stick for him uh but only time will tell only time will tell we still got a lot of stuff to talk about uh ddp versus bobby knuckles Dan Hooker and Jalen Turner, Bo Nickel and Val Woodburn. We're going to get into all of that stuff right after this break. Ben, are you going to be emotionally okay to talk about Rob, Robert Whitaker's loss to du- Duplice here? You're going to be all right. This is this is one that I imagine hit the entire MMA community pretty hard, and uh, I just wanted to check in with you, check in with your current state of well-being before we get into a deep dive on what happened out there between Duplice and Bobby Knuckles. Chad, I was sitting there watching this fight wearing my Bobby Knuckles t-shirt. I would available expect... Available for purchase at the CME Big Cartel shop, by the way. No, nothing less. Go over to comainevent.com and click the link that says shop. That'll take you right there. Uh, but yeah, this is a tough one, man. This is a, this is a tough one, I think, for a large portion of the fighting community because Robert Whitaker is universally well-liked. And so to see him go out in this way that I don't think very many people expected, it's pre- pretty rough. I got to say I was shocked. Yeah. I was shocked at how well DDP did against Robert Whitaker in this fight. Because, you know, the first round was a little bit strange just in... I thought it interesting where, you know, Robert Whitaker looks pretty good early on and then ends up down on the ground getting cut open with the elbows. And when he goes back to his corner, they're telling him, we don't need to wrestle this guy, basically. Like, we we can win this just standing up on the feet doing Robert Whitaker stuff. And then you try that and the next round, he ended up getting rocked. And I I did not think that DDP had that in him. I, didn't, I thought that Robert Whitaker is just going to be a much smarter fighter and be really hard for, for uh, Dragos to please to get his hands on uh, in a meaningful way before this point. And I thought maybe if he wins it, I could see, you know, you win three rounds, you win a close fight or something going out there and finishing Bobby Knuckles in the second round. I, I was shocked at that. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, you know, there's probably two different conversations to be had here. One of them certainly Drake is Duplice coming out there and fighting in a measured and fairly smart way. You know, yeah, and he knows you know, he knows yeah, that's his he thing. Put, right? he, he put words to it in the cage after it happened, saying, "I didn't want to rush in because we all know that's a problem for me." Which uh, is not as self-aware or as as you know to the point as we see a lot of these fighters be about their own skills, at least publicly. People might know it behind the scenes, but you don't see a lot of people talk about it publicly. And yet here is 
DDP just literally saying it out loud in the octagon in his post-fight speech. And I got to say, like, one thing that struck me while I was watching it is that he fought really smart. Uh, Especially in the first round when Robert Whitaker seemed like he was having his way from range, from the place Robert Whitaker wants to be. He was doing really well for the first four minutes or so. And then Duplessis seemed to sort of turn the heat up start to turn the pressure up, start to pick up the pace. He ends up getting the takedown and finishing that round on top, blasting Whitaker with some nasty elbows that cut him open. And uh, there's kind of a, uh, in some ways, a replay in the second round where Whitaker again seemed like he was doing okay. He was basically running his Bobby Knuckles game plan out there, the thing that has proved effective against everyone besides Israel Adesanya. And then all of a sudden, Duplessis, who, let's just say it, massive, Massive fucking guy at 185 pounds, just huge dude, especially as compared to Robert Whitaker. Hit him with more or less a jab, kind of like a straight right to the middle of the face that put Robert Whitaker out, essentially, uh, or at least was the beginning of the end for him. So incredibly impressive performance, I thought, just technically from DDP. Yeah, he caught him clean and... Bobby Knuckles is not an easy dude to catch clean that it way. It almost never happens. Almost never, if you're not Israel Adesanya. Yeah, and like when Israel Adesanya was doing it, it was in part because uh, Whitaker seemed to be really struggling with the range in that fight and had felt like he had to sort of leap in to close that distance. And then once he got there, was stuck and, and primed to be countered. And here, I don't know, it, DDP just catches him straight down the middle with that jab uh robert whitaker definitely on queer street after that one stumbling around and it seemed like it even took ddp a moment to really he said i was too busy getting ready to dodge the hook to even really notice what had happened to him um i said before the fight where i thought you know if ddp is gonna beat bobby knuckles he's gonna have to look better than he has ever looked in these previous fights in order to do it and he did yeah. He did exactly that. And from the UFC's perspective, this fight had the intended effect of we're not quite sold on DDP as a potential title challenger. We do need some fresh faces for Israel Asanya. Robert Whitaker's already beat him. But if you put him in there, hey, if you can beat Robert Whitaker, then damn it, you deserve to fight for the UFC middleweight title. That's yeah. uh, That just seems like an obvious thing. And so he goes in there, not only beats him, finishes him, looks great doing it, and then it just, you know, camera pans to a guy standing in the front row with i'm gonna say an inscrutable t-shirt i do not understand i mean here like ddp is all smiles headed out to the cage before he even got in there he's grinning his ass off during his walkout down to the cage and at the what a harley davidson prep point 23 and me prep point i don't know what it is at this point he's he's getting his gear off and he's heading into the cage and israel adesanya is just lurking He's just standing in the front row, stone-faced, just absolutely photobombing the shit out of DDP's entrance into the cage, while Duplessis is happy and excited to get in there, Israel Adesanya just glowering in the back. And so, should we all take a big breath here? Because now we must transition to the topic of of a DDP Israel Adesanya title fight, which I think as we all saw from the post-fight confrontation in the cage between these two guys could be one of the cringiest lead-ups to a UFC title fight that we have ever seen. 
Uh, Israel Adesanya gets in there, dropping the N-word multiple times in reference to DDP. And it seems like we are going to have a fight for the UFC middleweight title that essentially contests everyone's African heritage at UFC 293. Are we going to put together a college-level lecture course on the complicated colonial and cultural political history of Africa and apartheid in South Africa? Or is it just going to be unbelievably fucking cringe leading up to this fight? You know... I think that some people, I think, were really hard on Israel Adesanya for how he handled that. I, I see what he's doing. Yeah, right. Like he's, he's working what, a thing. He's got a he's got a gimmick to work here. Well, and let's be honest, the, he's not the one who brought this up. Sure. He didn't come out early in DDP's rise and be like, "Fuck this guy. He's not even really African." He didn't do that. DDP is the guy who was like, "I'm the true. I'm going to be the true African champion of the UFC." Basically because I never left. And he, it's a big part of what he's saying in his pre-fight hype reel kind of stuff is, hey, I believe we got everything we need here in our gyms here. We don't have to leave. And it's like, well, you don't have to leave. You, But if you're going to sit there and not only to sort of downplay the accomplishments of Israel Adesanya, but also somebody like Francis Ngannou. Yeah, when you are out there saying like I'm gonna be the first real African UFC champion, you're saying like fucking Francis Ngannou doesn't count because he left Africa. He had to leave in order to ever have a shot to do any of that stuff, and he was willing to to literally risk his life in order to do it because he knew in order to chase that dream, which at the time when he left was to be a boxing champion, but he knew from where he was starting that there was no way to make that dream happen. You, however, are living a very different life and very different circumstances because of the complicated colonial history in Africa. Those things are inextricably linked. The reason you don't have to leave is because of that history. And so for him to bring it up and for him to lean on that, he makes it fair game, I think, for Israel Adesanya to come in there and be like, hey, my African brother. And like making fun of that, like... Poking at that, like, I think that that's a, I mean, you can say you don't love exactly the way he did it, throwing the N-word around that many times, whatever. I see what he's going for there. And I, I feel like when he goes, gets heavy into the really trying to guess at 23 and me, the, the <laughs> name, but like to be like, okay, you want to tell us how African you are? Take the DNA test and let's see what it tells us. Uh, like, we all see what he's talking about there and it's not him who started that conversation. So I think that that's a fair point to bring up if, if that's going to be a thing that DDP really leans on. Yeah. You know what? At least we can rely on the UFC to put the <laughs> properly nuanced and delicate take on this whole topic leading up to UFC 293. At least we can rely on their, the company's history of doing the right thing and just gracefully with all the class in the world approaching these complicated issues. At least we got Surely that going for us. They will they will approach it with all the necessary nuance and no crass consumerism or, or salesmanship about it. If we're really doing it at UFC two ninety three, that is September the tenth at uh Kudos Bank Arena in Sydney, Australia. Probably nailed it. 
but uh, that's where this fight appears to be headed. At least it'll be a bit of a whirlwind because that's not that that far away, really. That's just a couple of months from now, and so hopefully it won't be a, a drawn-out affair. Uh, aside from that political history and the potential lead-up to this fight, how do we feel like a, a stylistic matchup between DDP and israel adesanya plays out because i think we mentioned some of the things ddp has going for him he's a big guy he's got a, a pretty long reach he fought he fought much smarter in this fight than we have seen him in some of his other fights he is was the ksw champion so we know he we, he has competed and won fights at a, at a high level i'm not sure that i totally love the style though you know he's it's gonna seem like a weird comparison but he kind of has a similar Robert Whitaker thing going on where he likes to kind of lunge forward or like crowd into the into the danger zone in order to land his punches. And we have seen Israel Adesanya take advantage of that against other people. Israel Adesanya certainly seems to think this will be an easy fight to him for him. But uh, I don't know. I don't know what to think about this as we as we get closer to what appears to be the next middleweight title fight. Well, I'll tell you that before he beat Robert Whitaker, I'd have said. He's in deep, deep trouble if he ends up having to fight Israel Adesanya. Uh, I mean, he he surprised me there. He yeah. impressed me once, and it ended up being better than I thought he was. I do I do still think stylistically, if it is Israel Adesanya fights his fight and is allowed to do his stuff, that he's still he's still going to be a problem for him. But at least I'm just convinced that it's closer than I thought it was before. What do we do with Robert Whitaker now? He's uh. As I mentioned before, beat everybody in the middleweight division aside from Israel Adesanya headed into this fight. But now he has this middleweight title eliminator loss to DDP. He's still 24 and 7 overall. He's only 32 years old. So he's not over the hill by any stretch of the imagination. He's probably still right in the heart of his prime. And yet at this point, it seems a little bit like a rocky road back to a middleweight title fight, at least immediately i don't necessarily if he would as they said on the broadcast if he would have done something very impressive against duplice then i think you could make the case maybe we put him in there with adesanya one more time but at this point man i don't know what the road is for him back to a title fight you it seems like you might have to wait for the title to change hands twice because you know if israel adesanya beats ddp you're probably still locked out and if DDP beats Israel Adesanya, you're probably not getting back in there that quickly either. So it's just a tough spot for Robert Whitaker right now. It is because it's even to find people that you could fight that will help you climb back up that ladder. You've already fought most of those people. And the UFC also is going to be sort of reluctant. Like they tend to look at somebody like Robert Whitaker in that situation and be like, who do we have that could potentially beat him and put some shine on their names by doing it? Like that's usually how they try to use those fighters in a situation like that. And you don't really want to be used that way. I don't, I mean, I would argue that Robert Whitaker could do a lot worse than to just get into some fun fight territory, but then he's also had a lot of those fun fights against some of those guys already. I mean, yeah, I don't know exactly what you're supposed to do. And frankly, he seems like he's about five years premature for fun fight territory. He should still be in the thick of this thing, you'd think, for a few more years because he's still extremely, extraordinarily good. So who knows what will happen. The weight drop, as we say over and over again on this show, is the fighter's false friend. 
Yeah. But he's not a big middleweight. And so I'm just going to proffer. Should Bobby Knuckles at least consider 170? Should he think about it? I mean, he that he won the Ultimate Fighter at 170, so we know yeah. that it's he he knows what that life is like. I mean, granted, that was over a decade ago, and dropping that weight and this big 15 pound jump from 170 to 185 doesn't tend to get easier as you get older. Um, I don't. You got to think that it's either something like that, or we're hanging around being like, "Hey, do you guys remember when I was supposed to fight Paulo Costa and didn't? Wouldn't that oh, be rad?" You yeah, know, that's actually not a bad idea. That's what I would be doing, I guess, if I was Robert Whitaker. That's that would be a fight that, if you won it, would at least keep you in the conversation. Yeah, and you get to fight MMA Twitter's number one SLG, the silly little right. guy himself, Paulo Costa, the silliest of all little guys, Paulo yep. Costa. All right, uh, Jalen Turner. And Dan Hooker had themselves a fight of absolute savagery leading up to uh, what essentially or what it ultimately was the fight of the night in that Pantoja Brandon Moreno fight. But it seemed like these guys would have had it all sewed up. This officially went down as a 158 pound catch weight fight uh, after Turner missed weight and uh, Dan Hooker got 20 percent of his purse. Dan Hooker ultimately emerges as the split decision winner here, although had some dicey-ass moments there in the second round when he gets kicked straight in his face. I have no idea how Dan Hooker was still upright and engaging in a professional mixed martial arts fight after getting kicked straight in his head by Jalen Turner. You know who else didn't know how he was doing it was Jalen Turner. Yeah. Because he when he landed that kick and then sort of turned up the volume on the strikes a little bit, and when Dan Hooker was not only still there after that, but firing back, you could kind of see the, the look on Jalen Turner's face change as if like, well, shit, I had really hoped that was going to do it. I had really <laughs> hoped we were going to be going home at this point in the evening. And no, you're not. And the guy is pressing hard coming back at you. And it seemed like it's sort of like he spent what he had there trying to finish it and also was just like was not prepared to, to get in that sort of longer grind that came after that. And I don't blame him, man, because that's that's a tough fight where you especially where you thought you had it and you thought like you had a lot of physical advantages on your side in that fight. And Dan Hooker just through toughness and will bullies his way back into that fight and wins it. Yeah. And let's not forget about the bleach blonde hair. He probably, How could we forget about that? He probably just wanted to channel a little bit of Chucky Olive's magic headed in there with the with the blonde hair. Uh, this Dan Hooker needed this one, right? Because remember a time when he had gone seven and one over eight fights back in uh, 2020, and we were like, okay, Dan Hooker seems like uh, he might be a guy. Let's throw him in there with Dustin Poirier, and that did not work out. And then he fought yeah. Michael Chandler, and that did not work out. And then he got one win against Nasrat Hakparast, but then he fought Islam Mahachev and he fought Arnold Allen. So he went uh, two and four over his last six fights heading into this bout with Jalen Turner. You know, it would be weird to say must win for Dan Hooker, but kind of had to have this one, I think, yeah, to stay did. in the conversation. And frankly, either had to like have an impressive knockout or had to have a gutsy ass down and dirty fight like this, a crowd pleaser, a fan favorite, just to, to keep his name up there, even among the list of guys who have a chance to make the jump to elite elite status in that weight class. Yeah, 
because this one did feel like okay well you you take Dan Hooker who ran into some hard times here and you put him up against a six foot three inch lightweight he's used to that being what he brings is being yeah. the tall lanky guy and instead he goes up against the taller lankier guy who seemed like he had a lot going for him and he really did need to win that one and especially after it wasn't looking good early to be to just be able to to force yourself back into that fight and win it down the stretch that's a real career revival moment even if you did have to break your goddamn arm to get there yeah uh dan hooker by the way somehow older than robert whitaker that's that, impossible that can't I be i don't know double if check the math yeah gonna have to go run the numbers on that we'll see, see some birth that, certificates see if that checks out uh all right let's move on here to bo nickel and Val Woodburn. Bo Nickel, Ben, was supposed to fight Treshawn Gore at UFC 290. Gore was forced out uh, just days before UFC 290, revealed he had a torn ligament in his wrist that might require surgery and could keep him out for six six months or a year. Uh, As a guy who has a hurt wrist himself, that's not what I like to hear about torn ligaments and being out for a year. But I digress. We had to go out and we had to get Val... Woodburn, all five foot eight of them. Uh, he was booked for a Dana White contender series fight in August, and he was undefeated at seven and zero. Comes into this fight obviously on just a few days' notice, but didn't look overwhelmed, frankly, by the the moment. At least not in the walkout or any of the other stuff. Looked like he was ready to go. Told the the guys during the pre-fight meeting that he quote uh, had some of that dirty old neighborhood dog in him. And that he was ready to go with Bo Nickel. And then the fight started. And Val Woodburn landed, I guess, one kind of nice looking overhand right on Bo Nickel. And then Bo Nickel just kind of lit him up on the feet. And looked like probably knocked him out. Knocked him out cold, followed him down with some strikes on the ground to force the TKO stoppage here. But I'll tell you this, Ben, folks, if Bo Nickel's going to start knocking people out on the feet, the world might be in trouble. Not that we want to take a ton away from this fight against this short-notice replacement, but uh, it's not the way I thought Bo Nickel was going to win it, I'll tell you that. No, and to tell you that we're going to get into a Bo Nickel fight in which he doesn't even really attempt any wrestling. Would be a pretty big surprise. They tell me that he was going to finish this fight in the first round. Less of a surprise. Yeah. This is one where, I mean, really the only way that we could come out of this one feeling like we learned something new about Bo Nickel that was impressive was if he showed off a whole new set of skills, right? Because you, that's the problem with putting him in there with somebody where late replacement a couple days before the fight and it was already a squash match before it was a late replacement. Uh, it's even, it's like a historic lopsided fight afterwards according to the odds uh, him throwing some hands and showing you that he actually has been learning how to box you know that is one way for us to see like okay we did get something out of that we learned something however i can't be the only one who got a flashback to how many times we've seen some wrestlers come in learn a little bit of boxing and then forget who they are forget yeah. where they came from yeah we've seen it happen we have, and it's to disastrous circumstance, disastrous uh, outcomes, frankly. I don't, his, Bo Nickel is the kind of guy who must just be a goddamn nightmare for matchmakers, in addition to being a nightmare for his opponents. He's 27 years old. He's done absolutely everything in amateur wrestling. He's he's a, a, a great prospect, came into the UFC just with three 
professional previous fights, two of them on the Dana White Contender Series, and now has gotten two two very impressive first-round stoppages in his UFC fights, and seems game as hell, does want to fight somebody, is saying it, let me fight somebody up the rankings, I'll fight whoever it is, but I want to fight someone a little bit more accomplished. But it's hard to scrape around and find what could be, you know, uh, uh, equal matchups for Bo Nickel, especially since I don't even know that we know what that means right now. But in the UFC, it's just hard to find people to fight a guy who only has five fights. And and so I think that that's a bit of a trick here for matchmakers. Though on the other hand, Bo Nickel is a guy with five fights who looks like he has had 20. So I don't totally know what you do with him from here out. Uh, you got We got to see some kind of significant step up in competition, right? We got to see somebody we heard of before. Yeah. Because yeah. people are going to start to get mad at you after a while and you're, you're going to put him in a situation where like fans are going to be getting frustrated with him or risk turning against him through no fault of his own just because we're taking it so slow and it feels like the promoter is stacking the deck for him yeah well we'll see what happens uh i guess that for the most part is going to wrap up our conversation this week about ufc 290 we do have some after hours coming up after we wrap this thing up we'll squeeze that in before ben folks has got to take off but uh, if you happen to be a $20 patron of the co-main event, the show rolls on for a few more minutes here. Uh, as for everybody else, come check us out on Patreon. We'll be there Wednesday, Thursday, Friday this week. For the rest of you, we'll talk to you next Monday with the proper. As for right now, we're done. We are through. We are out. So not only, Ben, did they go ahead and roll out a power slap fight during the weigh-ins of UFC 290, which just... Hey, man, you want to tell me you're desperate without telling me you're desperate? Fucking roll a power slap, slappy fight out on during the weigh-ins at UFC 290. That sends the message to me. But then we got what at this point is a classic Dana White trope. He going to go out there and get super pissed off at the MMA media for accurately quoting a thing that he said on video a week ago. Call us all, what do you call scumbags? Is that what it was? Go a scumbag?